0: Evidence and Answers. You are tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat held his first-ever Zoom Apologetics Conference entitled Truth, Finding Clarity in Confusing Times. Guest speakers included Kirby Anderson, Fazal Rana, Randy Manley and our own Pat Zukran. In today's broadcast, we will be listening to our first session of the three question and answer sessions that were offered.
1: Welcome back here to our session and we're going into one of the most parts that people enjoy the most here during our conference is the question and answer time. And so type in your questions and I hope that I could see it and answer it here during our session. We have uh, several questions in here. I'll try to get to as many as I can. We're only going to go for half an hour. So we'll see how many questions that we can get in here. So we got several questions here. First one states, Pat, you state that all cultures have the same moral code, but it seems they do not. Some cultures practice polygamy, cannibalism, etc. So how can you say we all have the same moral code? Well, we start off with a tough one right away, huh? Man, I tell you, that's a great question. We all have pretty much the same universal moral code, all right? We may apply it differently, but we have the same universal moral code. For example, the example you brought up here, polygamy. Adultery is wrong in every culture, okay? Uh, And we have a small live audience here that you might hear throughout this Q&A time. There are cultures that practice polygamy, but adultery is wrong in every culture, okay? Someone may have multiple wives, But if one of those wives sleeps with another man, guess what? That's adultery. Okay? And uh, in some cultures, the adulterer and adulteress end up getting the death penalty. All right? So, although it's applied differently, the values are still the same. Cannibalism. Well, that's practiced because those cultures value human life. All right? They value human life, believe it or not. There are several cultures that practice cannibalism. Why do they do it? Well, one reason. Is because if a great leader dies, all right, one of the most honorable, because they value his life so much, they eat him so that his spirit of courage and wisdom and honor and all that will go into them, all right? That's because they value him. Or they eat the body of their enemy because that's the worst form of disgrace and shame that you could possibly do to anyone. So they actually value the body, all right? And they value human life. That's why cannibalism, if you do it to your enemy, it's the worst thing you, you really want to disgrace your enemy. Or if you do it in a positive way, you're doing it because you value that person and you want his spirit to live on in you, all right? But both cultures really value human life. So though we have the same value, stealing is wrong, adultery is wrong, it may be practiced uh, in different ways, okay? For example, another one, you know, wife burning in India, right? Till recent times, if a man died, his wife had to jump in the fire. You know, when he was cremated, the wife had to jump in the fire and die with him. Why? Because adultery was wrong, and they valued marriage, and they married uh, loyalty to one another, and the spouse would be so loyal to the husband that if he died, she would die with him. So they valued marriage, okay, and abhorred adultery. Right. So they practice the practice might be different, but the value really is the same. Next one here. At, you say the universe shows intelligent design, but how do you explain flaws in creation? Human skin deteriorates and is easily penetrated. I believe that's the word. We could have been encased in something more durable. The eye has a blind spot, etc., cetera, et cetera. So with these flaws, how can you say there is an intelligent designer and all powerful, all knowing creator? Another tough question here. There's about three parts to this answer. That's a very good question. It's okay? about three parts to this answer. All right. First of all, Genesis one. When God created all things, He created it good. All right. Sin entered into the world, and that has severely affected creation. So some of the effects, for example, sin and death entered evil, and death entered into the world as a result of sin. Uh, in Genesis chapter three. So that explains some of the flaws that's in there. Secondly, there is a difference between something that's intelligently designed and what we call optimally designed. Okay, just because something is you feel not optimally designed doesn't mean it's not intelligently designed. For example, 10 computer engineers can look at my Macintosh computer here and say, there's flaws in this design. I had designed something better than that. Screen's too thick. Microchips heat up too much. I could, I could design something better than that. Well, just because you don't like the design or you see, quote, that there are flaws in the design doesn't mean it's not intelligently designed, okay? Third, what do you mean by optimally designed? I mean, what do you mean by that? This may be the best form of creation we can have with the limits of the physical universe that we have. All right. I mean, what do you mean by optimal? Well, skin, we, we could have had something better than skin, something more durable. Okay. Like what? Uh, plastic? Plastic. But then how does the skin breathe? All right. And for example, something we need, the vaccination. I mean, how, how do you get that into something made of plastic? All right. And then how does plastic grow? You're going to have to, uh, you know, how can women do childbirth? You know, you can do it because the skin grows elastic and plastic skin, uh, you would have, you know, and and how do you, does the blood flow and fluids and and the skin has to be able to breathe. And so, so what do you mean by optimal design? Uh, The eye has a blind spot, correct. Uh, I've talked to optometrists and ophthalmologists about that. And in order to get rid of that blind spot, you're going to have to change the lens and the casing of the eye, have a deeper casing back here, which means you're going to have to change the eye sockets, make it bigger. then you have to change the nose for the breathing apparatus and the mouth and the brain structure because it's going to have to go deeper here well okay let's just make a bigger head all right well but then can the neck support a head that's bigger well okay let's just make a bigger neck well can the body support a head and a neck that that, well let's just make everybody 10 12 feet tall well can a calcium body support a structure that big and that heavy well let's just make uh, the body out of steel or magnesium, or aluminum. Well, can aluminum an aluminum frame grow? I mean, how does a woman give childbirth to a structure made of you know aluminum bones that don't grow? I mean, does she give birth to a twelve foot child? I mean, so what do you mean by optimal design? Where does this all end? So we may be in the physical limitations of the universe. This may be the best design, taking into account all the limitations of the physical universe that there are. Uh, Next question here. Pat, you said people will not die for a lie, yet millions have died for their beliefs, which you say is not true, like Islamic jihadists. Another very great question. Correct. What I said was people will not die for what they know to be a lie. People will die for something that's not true, thinking it is true. All right, these jihadists die thinking Islam is true, that Muhammad is the prophet of God, the Quran is the inspired word of God, and that when he died, they're going to get their 40 or 70 virgins. They think it's true, all right? And they're willing to die for false ideology. They think is true. But no one will die for something they know to be a complete lie. We will not die for that, and we will not send our loved ones to their death for something we know is a complete lie. And there have been cases where, People have tried to perpetuate a lie and it just fell apart. You know, a good example, you know, is the Watergate scandal. Chuck Colson has a great story, tells the story very well in his biography, Born Again. Right. And he says that 10 of the most powerful men in the world were unable to keep a lie together for more than about three months. Okay, everything fell apart. And he said, if 10 of the most powerful men in the world, any one of them could have picked up the phone and started a war in another country, if 10 of the most powerful men in the world could not hold a lie together for more than three months, well, how could 12 fishermen without any kind of political power whatsoever hold a lie and all die for a lie that continued to perpetuate and spread throughout the world, right? So history shows us, men and women will not die for what they know to be a lie. All right, now we have another question from here, from Glenn. Is Darwinism theory of evolution still being pursued vigorously by scientists around the world, or have they largely abandoned this line of investigation for the origins of life? Great question, Glenn. Darwinism is still held onto vigorously by the scientific community, especially those who hold to an atheist worldview or those who are not open to any other alternative. Okay, because if Darwinism is not true, what is your only other alternative out there? Intelligent design, God. And so the scientific community does indeed hold fast to Darwinism with everything that they've got, even though they know that Darwinism has not answered the question to the origin of the universe or the origin of life. They have not answered that question. Okay, the Uri Miller experiment that many of us were taught in high school biology, is a failure. He had the wrong atmosphere. I believe when he did that test, he had water vapor, ammonia, methane, nitrogen that he thought was the early Earth's atmosphere, and they shot an electric charge through it, and out came uh, red goo-2 amino acids. Well, they investigated ure Miller's conclusion, and they said he's got the wrong atmosphere. The early Earth didn't have ammonia and methane. It had oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide. Instead of An atmosphere from planetary gases it had you know early volcanic activity and water that was what composed the atmosphere so they recreated the atmosphere to be more like earth's early atmosphere and they did that experiment repeatedly thousands of times and guess what they got nothing they have gotten nothing (laughs) okay nothing all right so as a result they still haven't answered the question on the origin of life even even the uri mille experiment i mean you got two amino acids. You still got a long way to go to, you know, get to proteins and then to RNA and DNA, and then going from, you know, non-life to life. I mean, that's still a long way to go. And so they haven't come up with the origin of life. They haven't discovered the mechanism for macroevolutionary change. Macroevolutionary, you know, we all believe in microevolution changes within a species, different types of dogs, different types of cats. All right, different types of birds, that's changed within a species. We all agree that happens. Macroevolution is developing new body parts, new organs to create a new species. And we know that the natural process cannot produce macroevolution. Right? The two vehicles of macroevolutionary change, natural selection and mutations, do not cause macroevolutionary change. Right? Survival of the fittest, natural selection, preserves the strongest of a species. It doesn't change it. If you're living in the cold and you have a husky and a short fur dog, which one's going to survive? Well, the husky, but it's still a dog. Hey, you haven't changed it, right? You haven't changed the species. And genetics, genetic uh, mutations, we know you can genetically modify species like dogs, but you can only modify them so far. Then they get to the point where, you know, they're too weak to survive naturally. And let's say a poodle, you take a poodle and you throw them into the wild, right? And somehow the poodle survives. Well, the next generation is not going to look like a poodle. They're going to go back to more like their original form. They're going to start looking more like the wolf, right? So they still don't have the mechanism for macro evolutionary change. So a lot of problems with Darwinian evolution and intelligent design is gaining ground, but – it looks like the scientific community is going to hold on to Darwinism with all their might, because if they, you know, if not, what's your alternative? You have to look at intelligent design. Dr. Fuzz Rana is a world-class scientist and an author, and he'll be speaking tomorrow more probably on this subject, okay? And so you can ask him. All right, let's see. The Bible states, this is from TAC here. The Bible states that we are born sinners if we were created in his image, why can he not create us as sinless beings? A great question here. Originally, he did create us without sin, right? Adam and Eve were without sin, and God created a perfect being. Now, a perfect being has to be able to do the greatest act of good that can possibly be done. And what is that act? To love, okay? To love. But love requires free will, the ability. To choose. If I program you to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, and that's all you can do, you're not a free being, and you're not loving me, all right? You're simply a robot, and I've programmed you to love me. Love requires a choice, all right? And so God created Adam and Eve with the ability to choose. And in their freedom, they used it to disobey God, in seeking to be like God, in seeking autonomy, and that's how sin entered into the world. And as a result of what they did, it's passed on to the next generation, all right? Now, a follow-up question to that might be, is that fair? Because of one person's sin, now we all suffer. Well, unfortunately, that's how life works. If the coronavirus story is true, because of one man or one lab in China, because of their misdeed, millions now are suffering all, all over the world, okay? Because of what? One lab or one mad professor or whatever, one scientist in China did, the entire world is suffering. That's kind of how life works, right? If, because of one man pressing the red button, the entire world suffers a world war. That's kind of how life works. But the reverse is also true. Because of the act of one man, Jesus Christ, we all can have eternal life. Now, all of us don't have to go dying on a cross or suffering a death for our sins because one man in Christ through his death we all now have the gift of eternal life. Here's another one. Can you explain the substitution theory a little more clearly? Uh, Very good, Crystal. Uh, The substitution theory is the theory from Islam, right? Islam, of course, rejects the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Islam, Islam teaches that Jesus is a prophet, but a man, a man, a prophet, all right, well-respected in the Quran, right? So they reject the death and resurrection of Christ. They reject the death of Christ because Allah would never allow his prophet to suffer that kind of shameful death. Well, Islam then teaches that Christ did not die on a cross. Someone took his place. There are three candidates in Islam. Some teach that Simon of Cyrene, you know, the guy who picked up the cross when Jesus collapsed, they believe that the Romans ended up crucifying him. Poor guy just wanted to help out Jesus, he ends up on the cross, and Jesus got away. Or that a young boy was made to look like Jesus, and he took Jesus' place on the cross. Or that Judas Iscariot was made to look like Jesus, and Judas ended up dying on the cross. Okay, that's a substitution theory. Of course, it's not taken seriously, really, because what? The Romans' authority and the Jewish authorities wanted to make sure they had the right guy And they took all measures to secure that they had the right guy. And when Jesus was on the cross, his mother and the disciple John uh, were there, right? So they recognized and secured that they had the right guy. But most biggest problem in this theory is this. Jesus, and even liberal and atheistic scholars agree, Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection, all right? Uh, John chapter 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he was talking about his resurrection. Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection. If he did not accomplish that, if somebody else took his place on the cross and died, what would that make Jesus? That would make him a false prophet and a liar. And of course, no Muslim would say that Jesus is a false prophet or a liar. So that theory, the substitution theory, pretty much falls apart. Kaeo says, if someone wanted to start a small group that goes through apologetics, how would you start? What topic would be the best to start off with? Well, we have curriculum at Evidence and Answers based on uh, the book I wrote, Unless I See. That's a great place to start. And the place we start, of course, is worldviews. You need to start there at that level, worldviews, okay? Okay because you need to be able to show that God exists. If God exists, then there can be a word of God, there can be a son of God, there can be acts of God, and the gospel will make sense in that context. If you're talking to an atheist and he doesn't believe in God, and you start with the gospel... All right, And you say, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And by believing in his death and resurrection, you can have eternal life. Well, the atheist will look at you and say, I don't believe in God. There's no God. There can be no son of God. There can be no word of God. And there can be no acts of God. You're just telling me fairy tales. Okay, And it's hard to really get to first base with someone like an atheist or a pantheist who believes that God and the universe are one. God is the impersonal cosmic energy of the universe all right, if you tell them God loves you, it's a wonderful plan for your life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God died for you, and by believing in him, you can have eternal life. The pantheist will look at you and say, thank you, I'll take Jesus too. What else do you want to give me? And so we need to establish the right worldview. When you can show we live in a theistic universe, that a personal God who created the universe exists, then you can have a word of God, the Son of God, and acts of God, and the gospel is going to begin to make sense, all Right? So Kind of that's where we start. That's why in my presentation, I started with evidence for the existence of God and for Jesus Christ. Because if you can show God exists and Jesus is the son of God, pretty much the two areas you need to show that to show Christianity is indeed true. Next question. Why do you think Darwinists continue to resist the intelligent design explanation? Fantastic question here. Well, the reason is that if Darwinism is not true, what's the only other alternative? Intelligent design, you're going to have to acknowledge an intelligent creator, all right? And God, the God of the Bible is the most reasonable choice, right? That's why they resist the case for intelligent design, even though intelligent design has a very compelling and powerful case, all right? That's why, and it's, pretty, it's a pretty hostile arena there, if you say you believe in an intelligent designer. Dr. Fuzrana, hopefully you can ask him some of those questions tomorrow as well. Let's see. Well, we got a bunch here. I'm going to answer one more. How about this? If God exists, why doesn't he make himself more obvious, like putting a big growing cross in the sky or strike people down who oppose him with lightning or fire? Great question to uh, close on. God wants us in a relationship with him. And so he gives us enough evidence so that if we are indeed open for truth, we will pursue him even more, all right? And come to find greater ends. But he gives you enough evidence to show that he exists, okay? Because our human nature is what? Even if he were to put a glowing cross in the sky every day and shout at us, some people still would not believe. Look at the miracle age of Moses and the Exodus, and yet that whole generation didn't believe and died. Many died in unbelief in the desert. Many saw the resurrection of Christ, witnessed that events, and did not believe. So God gives us enough evidence so that if we want more and we're open to truth and pursuing it, we are going to pursue. God is not a stalker. He's not going to stalk us to get us to believe in him. For example, let's say that I was stricken in love with a girl, all right? and I, friend her on Facebook and she rejects my friendship offer. And I call her up and say, You wanna go? And she says no. But I don't stop there. I go every day to her house and give her roses and candy. And I sit outside her window and play music and love songs for her all night long. And when she gets up in the morning I'm out there waiting to drive her to wherever she wants to go and give her more gifts and follow her and shower her. And on her lunch break, I come in and give her lunch. What do you call that? Oh that's stalking. You go to jail for stuff like that. God is not going to stalk us to believe. He gives us enough information so that if we're open to truth, we're going to pursue it. And then he'll reveal himself even more. If I give her a Facebook invitation and she accepts my friendship offer, and I, uh, we go chat, uh, and she accepts that, and I ask her out on a date and she accepts that, okay. All right, she's interested. She's going to pursue God gives us just enough information so that if we want to pursue him, we'll pursue him. All right? The second part, why doesn't he strike people down with lightning? Anyone who opposes him or sins? Well, there's a reason for that. God, need, God is a just God. And also, we need to see for ourselves exactly how sinful and disobedient we are. It's like this, okay? Suppose there is a group of guys making trouble in a bar every night. Okay, and a uniformed sheriff walks into the bar. How are these guys gonna act? They're gonna act good, okay? They're not gonna make any trouble. They're gonna act really good. And when the sheriff leaves, what? Their true nature is going to come out, all right? But suppose the sheriff comes in now undercover, looking just like a regular customer, and he's kind of hidden, and he kind of sits in the corner, and he's just kind of unnoticeable there, sitting in the corner. Then these guys will act, how they naturally act, all right? And they'll be the troublemakers uh, that they truly are. And the sheriff, to legally, you know, give them a citation or arrest them, has to allow them to act out their true nature and be the troublemakers that they are. And then he can justly sentence them, all right, to a night in jail or whatever it is that they've done, all right? So that's kind of what God has to do. Right, if he strikes everyone down, you know, with lightning or burns them up to a crisp, uh, whenever they commit an act of sin, well then everyone's going to be afraid of God, and obey him out of fear, not out of love or that they really want to know him. But if he remains a little hidden and allows us to exercise our free will, then our true nature is revealed, whether we truly love him or not. All right, so that's why God doesn't strike people down right away all right and he remains what appears to be a little hidden well i hope you enjoyed that q a time that's one of the most enjoyable times uh in our conference is that q a time hope you enjoyed our time together thank you for being with us for our first zoom conference am sure it's been a challenge for you as it has been for us but thank you for being with us uh from wherever you are zooming in
0: Run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat (laughs) Zuckrat.